our Bibles, 2 Samuel chapter number 15. 2 Samuel chapter number 15. Let me say what a blessing it is to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord. Are you excited to be here? I'll tell you, a lot of places we could be. I just heard Fred say amen. He just had his gallbladder took out. If he can say amen, you can say amen. Amen? I like that. 2 Samuel chapter number 15 this morning, and we'll get right to the preaching of God's Word. Uh, Verse number 13 is where we'll pick up our reading, and I'll give you a little bit of background uh, when we're finished with the text. Uh, Most of you it'll be familiar to, I'm sure. But the Word of God says, 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 13, the Bible says, "...there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly, and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth, and all his household after him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. And the king went forth, and all the people after him, and tarried in a place that was far off. And all his servants passed on beside him, and all the Carathites, and all the Pelathites, and all the Gittites, six hundred men which came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then said the king to Idai, the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place, and abide with the king, for thou art a stranger, and also an exile. Whereas thou camest up but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us? Seeing I go whither I may, return thou, and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. And Idai answered the king, and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my lord the king liveth, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. David said to Idai, Go and pass over. And Idai the Gittite passed over, and all his men and all the little ones that were with him. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. And lo, Zadok also, and all the Levites were with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had done passing out of the city. The king said unto Zadok, Carry back the ark of God into the city. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he thus say, I have no delight in thee, behold, here am I. Let him do to me as seemeth good unto him. The king said also unto Zadok, The priest, art not thou a seer? Return into the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimeaz thy son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will tarry in the plain of the wilderness until there come word from you to certify me. Zadok therefore and Abiathar carried the ark of God again to Jerusalem, and they tarried there. David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet, and wept as he went up, and had his head covered, and he went barefoot. And all the people that was with him covered every man his head, and they went up weeping as they went up. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshipped God, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. Unto whom David said, If thou passest on with me, 
then thou shalt be a burden unto me. But if thou return to the, to the city and say unto Absalom, I will be thy servant, O king, as I have been thy father's servant, hitherto so will I now also be thy servant, then mayest thou for me defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. Hast thou not there with thee Zadok and Abiathar the priests? Therefore it shall be that what things soever thou shalt hear of the king's house, thou shalt tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimeaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. By them ye shall send unto me everything that ye can hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and thank you for this time that you've given us. Lord, help us to approach these next few moments with the reverence, with the hallowedness that they deserve, seeing, Lord, that we've come here not to meet with the preacher, not to meet with the people, uh, not to meet with deacons or Sunday school teachers, but, Lord, we've come here to meet with you. I pray that, Father, you would have liberty to work in our hearts and lives. I know that it is not beyond your capability, Father, to deal in our hearts, but I know that we limit you if we won't have our hearts open. So I pray we'd have our hearts open to the preached Word of God, that you might receive glory, and that we might be made more into the image of Christ, for it's in His precious name that we do ask all this. Amen. In 2 Samuel chapter number 15, we find David being expelled from his own city, from his own palace, from his very own throne, by his son Absalom. You know, I've always been astounded at this passage of Scripture because when I read about David leaving Jerusalem, I can't help but think about the Lord Jesus. There are a lot of things about David here that remind me of Jesus. In fact, a few weeks ago we preached about another fellow by the name of Barzillai that's found a couple chapters later that is a help to King David. And we noted even then how many similarities there are here between David and between the Lord Jesus in this day that we live in. For instance, let me say that David here reminds me of Jesus because David is a rejected king. The hearts of the children of Israel, the Bible says, had turned towards Absalom. Now, Absalom is the son of David, but he is a wicked man. He is an evil man. He is a cruel man, and he is a man that hates his father. I don't believe for one minute that Absalom wanted the throne, but I believe he coveted it. You say, preacher, what's the difference? I don't think he wanted the throne of Israel, but I think he didn't want his daddy to have the throne of Israel. And he'd do whatever it took to try to kick his daddy off the throne. He uh, gathers together some conspirators and they hatch a plan, devise a plan uh, to turn the hearts of the children of Israel and to launch a political coup against David and to kick him off of his own throne. You see, if you were to look at David in this moment, you might think that defeat had won the day. He was a rejected king. And you know, that reminds me of how the world has treated the Lord Jesus. They certainly have rejected their king. How many of you this morning believe he is the king? He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Uh, He is the rightful heir and owner of everything that this world contains. He is the God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. When the psalmist said the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, he was talking about not just God the Father, but also God the Spirit and God the Son. Uh, The Lord Jesus, as the Creator of the world, has a title deed to this world, but this world has rejected Him. It has cast Him off. It has spurned His love, His compassion, and His redemption. David was a rejected king. Not only that, I can't help but notice, though, and we've read through it, that evidently there were some that rejected 
rejected king, the king David, but there were some that still regarded him. He was a regarded king. Uh, there were some that hated him, but thank the Lord, there were some that still loved him. There were some that had betrayed him, but there were some that still remained loyal to him. And I'd remind you, listen, this morning, people of God, we may live in a world that is openly hostile to the Lord Jesus Christ, but thank God there's still some folks saved by His grace, bought by His blood, redeemed by His mercy, that love Him this morning. We've gathered here this morning because we love Him. He is our King. Amen. Amen. And nothing can change that. David is a regarded king, but I'd have you notice he's also a resilient king. Uh, You see, the conspiracy of Absalom, ultimately, it fails. Uh, Absalom does not, in the long term, he may he may occupy the throne for just a short while, but eventually David is back on the throne. And David's kingdom, it, it survives and it is resilient against the kingdom of Absalom. Can I remind you that, listen, uh, countless emperors, countless uh, godless people throughout the ages have worn their hammers to a nub on the immutable promises of God, on His absolutely unconquerable authority and sovereign power. When the empires of this world crumble and fall, God still sits upon His throne. And regardless of what this world tries to do to displace the Lord Jesus, it does not for one moment threaten His authority. He was the King, He is the King, and He's always going to be the King. He is a resilient King. But then, and I like this, we come, we don't see it in the text that we read here, but you can go a chapter or two later and you know what you find? The same David that went out of Jerusalem comes back to Jerusalem. He's a returning King. He's coming back to sit upon the throne that is rightfully His. In fact, I love the imagery because David is coming back to sit on His throne. Well, whose throne is it if it's, if it's, it's David's throne? You know, the Bible says the Lord Jesus, He too is coming back to sit upon the throne throne of David. A literal throne, a visible throne, a powerful throne, a, a, a an earthly throne. The kingdom of heaven one day when the king comes to earth is going to sit down on earth and he's going to reign in power and in glory for a thousand years until the kingdom's delivered up to God the Father. He's a returning king. He's coming back. Amen. And it's fascinating when you study the responses of people at this season in David's life. It seems like there were all sorts of people that as David is leaving Jerusalem and he's going to be absent for a short while, that react in different ways to his absence. For instance, I wrote a few of them down. Back in verse number 15, we read about the servants of David and they were dedicated to David. I love what they say in verse number 15. Uh, The Bible says that the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. Hey, listen, I like people. I like God's people. I like Christians that are just dedicated to the Lord, ready to do anything that He requires. And there are people in this world today that see incumbent upon them the responsibility to live in obedience and to shine forth the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. They know that they are His hands. They know that they are His feet. They know that they are His mouth. They know that they are His eyes. That He cannot be here right now. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, but that we are His representatives. And they're dedicated to do whatever is necessary. Verse number 16, we read about some women, some concubines that are left there to keep the house. And I want to be cautious with what I say here. These women, uh, their, their story ends tragically uh, in some ways. Over in chapter 16, we read that Absalom, in order to exert his dominance over his father, uh, that he takes these women, concubines, and he goes in unto them and he lays with them. And he's doing that to show that everything that belonged to his daddy now belongs to him. When 
David comes back as an act of kindness to these women, and you might think this is just, you might not, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, as an act of kindness to them, he puts them away as widows. And he continues to take care of them. He continues to meet their needs. Uh, He sees that they'll never go hungry, but he understands that because of what they've been through, they are now defiled. Can I say there's a lot of people in the world today that in the absence of the Lord Jesus are living defiled lives. Now let me again say that probably these women had to choose between their life or between Absalom's advances and you can unriddle to yourself what you think about that. But suffice it to say that we live in a world today that says if you're going to live in this world, you're going to have to live defiled. Can I say to you that God's people ought to commit themselves to live clean lives, to live pure lives regardless of what happens. And there are people today that have just accepted a defiled way of life. There are some that are defiled. We meet a man by the name of Idii down in verse number 19. And we read his story. I won't go back for time's sake and read it again. But Idii is a Gittite. That means he's not an, he's not an Israelite. He doesn't owe anything to King David. He's a stranger, and I like this word, and an exile. He had no family. He had no home. But he had grown in devotion and love to King David. And his mentality was, wherever the king is, that's where I'm going to be. He was a determined man. David looks at Idii and says, Idii, I can go anywhere I want. Why do you feel bound to me? You're a stranger. You're in exile. You don't have to follow me around. I'm not even the king anymore. You can go back home. Idii says, no, no. Uh, You may not be their king, but David, you're my king. And wherever you go, doesn't matter what happens, I'm going to go with you. And the Bible says when he goes with him, he even has little ones with him. He's even got his family with him. He's even got his children. He said, load up, kids. We're following King David wherever he goes. He's a determined man. I like people that are determined. People that have resolved in themselves that they're not going to let the world blow them about this way and that way, but they're going to live for the Lord Jesus. We read about the high priest, a man named Zadok, down in verses 24 through 30. Zadok, we meet him because he's bringing out the ark of God. And he says, wherever the king is, that's where the ark ought to be. In fact, David has to tell Zadok, Zadok, carry the ark back into the city. Don't follow me with it. It needs to be there in the city for the protection of the city because the ark had the presence of God. David said, wherever the the presence of God is, that's where the protection of God will be. And David says something astounding. He says, if God wants to, He'll bring me back. But if He don't, that's fine with me. He was like the Apostle Paul. He says, what I choose, I want not. I'm in a straight betwixt two. David says, I'm just leaving it in God's hands. But I'm fascinated about Zadok. Because the first thing he does when he learns the king is being driven out and being pursued and being hunted, he says, man, the king needs the ark of God. He needs the ark of the covenant. He needs the presence of God. He was a discerning man. He understood that everything's vain if you don't have the presence of God in the midst of it. And he knew if the king was going to survive and thrive and defeat his enemies, then he had to have the presence of God. We read about a man named Ahithophel down in verse 31. Ahithophel was a counselor to King David. And Ahithophel shows us that some folks, uh, when in the absence of the Lord, they grow devious. Ahithophel, he, he decided he was going to use this expulsion of David as an opportunity to get revenge on David. You see, Ahithophel was the granddaddy of Bathsheba. And evidently, Ahithophel never got over what transpired between David and Bathsheba and Uriah. And he can't get past that bitterness. In fact, he gives counsel that they're to pursue after David and kill David. And Absalom doesn't listen to Ahithophel's counsel. He ignores Ahithophel's counsel. And you know, the Bible says Ahithophel goes home, sets his house in order, and hangs himself in 
kills himself because he is so bitter and so devastated that he can't get revenge upon David. You know, there's some folks in the world that we live in that are openly devious. They hate the Lord Jesus. They desire to undermine any and everything that He does. And they'll try to make merchandise of God's people. And they'll try to undermine the cause of Christ and the work of Christ. Some folks, like Ahithophel, are devious. We read about a man named Zeba in chapter number 16, verses 1 through 4. Zeba is the servant of Mephibosheth. He had been the servant of Saul and Jonathan. But whenever David brings uh, Mephibosheth out of Lodabar and brings him to Jerusalem, he gives Mephibosheth Zeba. And Zeba becomes the servant of Mephibosheth. Uh, Mephibosheth, of course, is lame on both of his feet. He can't travel without help. So when the king is headed out of Jerusalem, Zeba follows... And he brings to David donkeys with, with, uh, with bread and with raisins and with milk and with various provisions. He brings them to King David. And David says, well, where's your master Mephibosheth? You brought all this to me. Why didn't you bring Mephibosheth? And Ziba says, my master didn't want to come. And instead, he went and petitioned Absalom. He's trying to get his power back. He's betrayed you, David. He's sold you down the river. And he's trying to get his influence and power and position back. Now, we learn when David gets back that none of that was true. That Mephibosheth, in fact, had mourned and grieved the whole time that David was gone and had longed for the king to return. Why did Ziba do that? I'd venture this guess. I think Ziba was tired of being somebody's servant. And he said, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get out from under this servitude. I'm going to make my own way. You see, some folks are disingenuous in the absence of the Lord. They try to use the Lord's people and they try to use the Lord's church to try to get what can benefit them. Uh, they're, They're charlatans. They're con men. And that's how Ziba was. Chapter 16, we also read about a man by the name of Shimei. Uh, Shimei was somebody that evidently had a great hatred of David. He also was of the house of Saul. And he felt like he had been disenfranchised by David ascending to the throne. And so Shimei, this is the day he's been waiting for, man. He's been waiting for David's comeuppance. And so when David's marching out of the city, Shimei goes out and he begins to curse David. And he begins to throw rocks at David. He begins to spit at David. Some people are defiant in the absence of the Lord. Some people are openly hostile and hate anything that has to do with God. We see this commonly in society today in almost all corners of culture and and politics and society. People that just have a vehement, gut level, almost DNA level hatred of the Lord Jesus. They just despise anything that has to do with God. That's how Shimei was about David. I'll give you one more and then we'll start preaching. There's a man by the name of Abishai. Abishai is a servant and a a, a, a military man under the governance of David. And whenever Shimei comes out and he's he's cussing David, he's spitting at David, he's throwing rocks at David, Abishai looks at David and says, what are you letting him do that for? He says, why don't you let me just walk over there and, and, and tell him a little something? Why don't you let me just walk over there and take his sword and, and I'll just divide him into some neatly compartmentalized pieces and we won't have to listen to that nonsense anymore. David, if it had been me, I'd have said, yeah, man, go after it. I would have said, let me help you. Let me hold him down. Amen? But not David. He says, what have I to do with thee, O thou son of Zerah? In other words, he says, if if he's cursing, it's because God's commanded him to curse. And if God wants to shut him up, God will shut him up. David says, we're not going to take it upon ourselves. We're going to let God handle our enemies. Abishai was uh, was a defensive person. He was somebody that thought it was his job to take sword in hand and convert everybody to loving David. Can I tell you something? God doesn't call us to take sword in hand and try to convert people to loving Jesus. My kingdom is not of this world, the Lord said. If it were, my servants would fight. 
So what does that mean if it's not? It means that we ought not. I don't believe that we ought to take a position of pacifism. I don't think that it's wrong for a Christian to fight uh, in war. I don't think it's wrong for a Christian to defend themselves. Uh, but we ought not try to evangelize the world at the edge of a, uh, of a sword. And by the way, we ought not try to make it our mission in life to straighten everybody out that disagrees with us. We can share the truth of the gospel. We can share what God's done in our lives. We can defend boldly the truth of the Word of God. But we don't need to be like Abishai. He had a bad spirit. But I see one more person. I want you to notice what the Bible says about him down in verse number 37. He's a man by the name of Hushai. All we really know about him from this passage is he's known as Hushai the archite. He evidently was a counselor of David's. And he too comes out to meet David. He desires to go with him. He comes out with sackcloth and ashes, his clothes rent. He comes out with earth upon his head. He's heartbroken. And he comes to David. He says, David, I want to go with you. I don't want to stay in the palace. I don't love Absalom. I don't like, he, he, he's a scoundrel. He's a betrayer. He's a treasonous man. I don't want to stay with him. Let me go with you. David looks at Hushai and says, Hushai, if you went with me, you'd just be a burden. Instead, here's what I want you to do. Ahithophel has become the counselor of Absalom. And he says, Ahithophel, when he speaks, it's like, it's like the mouth of God speaking. He's got wisdom, he's got counsel, and he's set against me. So Hushai, instead I want you to go back, and I want you to stand in court, and I want you to, to fight for me on my behalf against the counsel of Ahithophel. He says, you're going to have people to help you. Zadok and Abiathar will be there. Their sons will help you. But he says, David, or he says, Hushai, I need you more there than I need you here. Notice what verse 37 says. The Bible says, so Hushai... David's friend came into the city. And Absalom came into Jerusalem. While the pretender to the throne, while the enemy and antagonist of David was marching into Jerusalem, so too was a man that the Bible says was David's friend. Can I read a passage of Scripture to you? And this, I think, will give you an idea of what I want to talk about this morning. This is what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter number 15. He's talking to His disciples. And He says this, This is My commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. We often quote that verse. I remember I grew up in a Christian school and one of the things they'd ask you, uh, the seniors every single year when a senior class would come along, they'd always ask them their favorite verse. And uh, there's nothing wrong with any of these verses. It may be your life verse and certainly that's nothing to be ashamed of. But there was always a lot of Philippian 4.13s. There was always a lot of Romans 8.28s. And there always seemed to be a lot of John 15.13s. seemed like people loved that idea. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Often I've heard preachers talk about this in relation to the great sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made for us. But can I remind you of an important distinction? The Bible says two things in that verse that I think we ought to pay attention to. One, greater love hath no man than this. Can I remind you that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus of Nazareth hung upon the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, bleeding and dying for your sins and mine, that was no mere man that hung on that cross. Greater love hath no man than this. But that wasn't just man that died on the... That was God that died on the cross. 
Was His love different than the love described in John 15, 13? I think it was. Notice this second thing. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his what? For his friends. The Bible says, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. The Bible says that uh, that uh, for a good man, uh, some would die. That for a righteous man, some would die. For a good man, peradventure, some would dare to die. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the greatest expression of love that a man can have is to die for a friend. But the greatest expression that God could give was to die for His enemies. And that's what the Lord Jesus did for you and I. He didn't die for His friends. I wasn't His friend Whosoever, listen, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I was an enemy of God when He died for me. So what exactly is the Lord Jesus talking about? Here's what I think He's saying. I think He's saying, if you want to be a friend to me, then this is how you do it. You lay down your life for my sake. Not necessarily through martyrdom, certainly if it calls for it, but not necessarily through martyrdom, but through obedience. He says, you're my friend's if you do whatsoever, I command you. See, the reality is the way we show ourselves a friend to the Lord Jesus is by laying down ourself, our life, our ambitions, our plans, our desires on the altar of His service and saying, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. I want to ask you this question. Are you a friend to Jesus? I know He's a friend to you. I know He's a friend to me. But are you a friend to Jesus? While David was exiled from the kingdom, you know what he needed? He needed a friend. Can I tell you that while the Lord Jesus, is as a man journeying in a far country, is away from an earthly throne that he'll one day occupy, a visible representation of expressive and experiential power and authority, while he is away in a far country, he needs some folks that are willing to be his friend. What does that entail? Let me notice a few things. And then we'll close about Hushai, the archite. Notice with me first off, the allegiance of a true friend. Friendship means something. Part of the reason we're in the mess we're in today is friendship don't mean a lot anymore. But it should mean something. And to David and to Hushai, friendship meant something. Notice with me verse 32. The Bible says it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshipped God, behold, Hushai, the archite, came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. Can I notice first off his bold association with David? You understand that he was imperiling his life by doing what he does in these verses. It was not a safe thing to be a friend to King David at that moment in the land of Israel. But Hushai, when he had the option to, to demur away, when he had the option to back away, when he had the option to hide himself away, Hushai says, no, David's my friend and I don't care who knows it. I'll go out and meet him out there in his exile. I'll stand on the top of the hill where the worship of God takes place. This was a prominent place. And Hushai said, I will gladly stand and be counted a friend of King David. Let me tell you something. If we're really a friend of the Lord Jesus, we're going to have a bold association with Him. It was dangerous 
to be a friend to David. Can I say that, thank God that we've lived in a, in a time, in a season in human history where there's not been a lot of danger in, in being a friend to Jesus. But increasingly, day by day, as culture and society degrades, as the mystery of iniquity continues to work, it's becoming increasingly dangerous to be a friend to Jesus. I'm sure Hushai could have lost not only his job, not only his wealth, but his very own head for what he did here. Hushai said, that don't matter. He's my friend. And if he's my friend, and if I'm his friend, then I'll gladly, boldly take my stand, take my place, and cast my lot with King David. Listen to what the Bible says about friendship. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Friendship is easy when there's no danger, when there's no risk. If I had... Y'all got about four hours... If I had the time, we could go through the Apostle Paul and the friends that God gave him. Times when it was a dangerous thing to be a friend to the aging Apostle. Times when Nero's uh, investigators and Nero's soldiers were sniffing around everything that Paul did, every letter he received, every visitor that he received. But thank God there were some folks that said, I don't care if it imperils my life. I'll go and be a friend to the Apostle Paul. I'm glad there were some folks that would be a friend to David. And let me say that in a world that is growing increasingly hostile to the Lord Jesus, if we're really a friend to Him, we won't be ashamed of Him. We'll stand boldly and declare that we're a Christian. That's what the Lord Jesus did for us and that's what David described in Psalms 22. It's interesting because prophetically he's talking about the Lord Jesus but he's also talking about himself. And he says this in verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. He's talking to the Lord. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify Him. And fear Him, all ye the seed of Israel. For He hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath He hid His face from Him. But when he cried unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. David said, I ain't going to be a fair weather friend to God. I'll be a friend to him at all times. Even when it's not convenient. Even when it's not comfortable. Even when it's not easy. I'll be willing to stand with him. Paul gave a stark warning of the consequences if we wouldn't make bold association with the Lord. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, it's a faithful saying, for if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Now listen, lest you get the wrong idea, the Holy Ghost put this in here. If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful. He cannot deny Himself. It's not saying if we deny Him, He's going to throw us into hell. But it's saying that if we're ashamed of Him, He'll be ashamed of us. If we deny Him, then He'll deny us. He'll be ashamed of us. Listen, friendship involves bold association. Not only that, uh, notice how Hushai meets him. The Bible says that when Hushai the archite came to meet him, that he met him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. Notice his broken disposition. Hey, listen, Hushai, as far as we know, his life wasn't any worse for the wear just because David was kicked out of Israel, just because David was kicked out of Jerusalem. In fact, Hushai goes back and goes into the palace and gets his old job back. Only now he's serving Absalom instead of David. So why was he so tore up? Why was he so broken? Why was he so grieved? I'll tell you exactly why. Because David was broken. Because David was grieved. Because David was troubled. He wept because David wept. He grieved because David grieved. Hey, listen, the Bible commands us in Romans chapter 12 to rejoice with them that rejoice. We like that. That's easy to do. 
I, that, I, that's easy to do. You, you ever invited people to a party? Everybody will show up. Invite them to a complaining fest. See if anybody shows up. Hey, we're going to have a gripe fest at my house. We're going to show up. There's going to be punch and cookies. And I'm just going to sit there. You don't even get to talk. You don't even get to complain. I'm just going to gripe about everything wrong in my life. Be there at six. No, we don't do that. It's easy to rejoice with them that rejoice. Then, Paul said in Romans, we ought to weep with those that weep. True friendship is marked by whether we'll weep when they weep. I like what the psalmist said in Psalms chapter 35, verse 13. He said, but as for me, when they were sick, talking about his friends, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. True friendship is marked by whether we'll be grieved when our friends are grieved. Does what upsets your friends upset you? Not because it upsets you, but because your friend is upset. Now, can I lay this along in the spiritual realm? Are we bothered by what bothers God? Are we grieved by what grieves God? The brokenness of society, the lost condition of sinners, the deadness of the church. Does it grieve us the way it grieves God? I think a good mark of friendship is we'll be bothered by the same things He's bothered with. I notice the allegiance of a true friend, but let me say a word about the obedience of a true friend. It's fascinating, this exchange in verse 33. The Bible says, unto whom David said... Now, something think about this. Hushai, he shows up, man. He's tore up. He's got earth on his head. His garment's rent. He showed up. David, here I am, broken and ready to go with you. I'll go with you to the ends of the earth. I'll do anything that you ask me to do, David. I, I, I'm here to support you. I'm here to be your friend. <laughs> David looks at Hushai, and this is what he says. Verse 33, on whom David said, If thou passest on with me, then thou shalt be a burden unto me. Don't you imagine that hurt? Hushia to hear. Don't you imagine of all the things he expected to come out of the mouth of David, that was not what he was expecting. It's kind of like Abishai when he says, let me go over and kill Shimei, that dog. Let me go. Where? And David rebukes him. That had to take Shimei back, in this, or, or Abishai back in the same way. Hushai says, I'm here. I'm ready to do anything you want me to do, David. David says, then go back. Because if you go with me, you're just going to be a burden. Now we see here in a moment that Hushai obeys. He goes back. He does exactly what David asks of him. But before he could ever begin that journey back, before he could ever obey on the outside, he first had to obey on the inside. I'm sure his flesh did what your flesh would do or what my flesh would do. It probably bowed up and said, David, who do you think you are? I won't be a burden to you. I'll help you. Why are you hurting my feelings? Why are you pushing me away? Why are you spurning my offer of help? But he quiets his spirit. And he says, all right, David, well then what do you need from me? Let me say that he was obedient in his assessment. That was a hard thing for him to hear. But he took it with grace. And he trusted David's wisdom. Let me tell you something. You live for the Lord, there's going to be times he has to tell you some hard things. Listen to what Solomon wrote about friendship. He said in Proverbs 27 verse 5, open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful, he said, are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know when friendship gets real? 
when we move past surrounding ourselves that prop up our vanity and instead associate ourselves with folks that will tell us the truth, even when it hurts. In the same respect, let me tell you something. You really love the Lord like you say you do? You're really a friend to Him like you say you are? You're really devoted to Him the way you, you, you claim you are? Then when the Holy Ghost rolls up into your life and says, Hey, you need to fix this. You need to fix that. Why, Lord? Because you're being a burden to me. Then we'll listen with grace. You know, the Bible says we can grieve the Holy Ghost. It says we can quench the Holy Spirit. That means there are certain things that we can do that make the Spirit of God's weight heavier, His burden larger, His load more difficult to bear. And when we live out of accordance with the truth of God's Word, we're piling things on His shoulders. I'm glad God's shoulders are broad enough to bear every burden. I'm glad His arms are everlasting arms. But if I'm a friend to Him, then surely I wouldn't want to grieve His Spirit. Hey, it's not real friendship that says, you can bear my burdens, you don't have enough of your own, let me pile some on you. That's not real friendship. Real friendship says, how can I help you in whatever way is available to me? In His assessment, I wonder if we're willing to listen to the Lord when He rebukes us, when He gives us an assessment, when He says, hey, I don't need you serving doing this, i got somebody else that can do it better than you. Hey, I'm never going to use you in this capacity. Because there's something about your personality that cannot be used in that way. It hurts when the Lord says, hey, I'm going to use them to do this. And I'm going to have you do something equally important, but far less prominent. Because that's what I've created you for. Are we willing to listen? Are we willing to hear? I see His obedience in His assessment, but I see His obedience in His assignment. Verse 34, about the only thing that could have upset Hushai more than what David had already said was this. Verse 34, but if thou return to the city and say unto Absalom, I will be thy servant, O king, as I have been thy father's servant hitherto, so will I now also be thy servant. Then mayest thou defeat, for for me defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. He wasn't just obedient in his assessment, he was obedient in his assignment. David said, I don't need you here, Hushai, I don't need you here. I need you there. I don't need you doing this. I, I, got, I got mountains of people that can feed me. I got armies of men that can defend me. I, I've got mountains of companions and friends that can encourage me. I don't need that, Hushia. But there's only one man that can walk into that palace, walk into that council, walk into that throne room, and fight for me there. So, Hushia, that's where I need you. I wish I could tell you that we always enjoy what the Lord calls us to do. I've often thought about, I've never done it, but I've thought about preaching a sermon on when it's hard to serve the Lord. Talking about Isaiah when he was commanded to walk around for three and a half years stark naked to prove a point. Talk about Ezekiel when he was commanded to bake bread with cow dung in it and eat it to make a point. By the way, talk about Ezekiel when he had to lose his wife to death just to be an illustration to the children of Israel. Talk about Hosea when he was called to marry a wife of whoredoms and walk into a home life of turmoil and heartache just so God could prove a point. Sometimes it ain't easy to serve God. And sometimes the place God sends us is not where we want to be. That was the last place he wanted to, to be in. You see, his, his return to the, to the palace was not what he was hoping for. Not only that, his role in the plan 
I'm sure Hushai, when, when David first said, you know how time moves slow when things are falling to pieces? I'm sure when David first said, return to the city, Hushai said, as long as I don't have to deal with Absalom. And then the comma ended. And David said, and go and serve Absalom. Hushai probably thought, that's why I'm here is because I don't want to serve Absalom. I'm here because I don't want to be there, David. David said, that's where I need you. And if you're a friend to me, Hushai, you'll go where you don't want to go. You'll do what you don't want to do. You'll serve where you don't want to serve. You'll lay down your life, as the Lord Jesus would say hundreds of years later. You'll lay down your life for my sake. You'll do whatsoever I command you. Because obedience, when we're trying to please a friend, is an important part of friendship. Finally, and I'll be done this morning, I want you to notice the alliance of true friendship. Something interesting happens in verse 35. So you can imagine the crestfallen look on Hushai's face. When David's delivered this news and Hushai goes, Fine, David. If that's what you want, that's what I'll do. It's not what I want to do, but if that's what you need, if that's what you want, that's where I'll go. David says in verse 35, And hast thou not there with thee Zadok and Abiathar the priests? Therefore it shall be that what things soever thou shalt hear out of the king's house, thou shalt tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimeaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them ye shall send unto me everything that ye can hear. You know something I've learned in life? My closest friends... And I, I have, when you're a pastor, you have a lot of friends. But my closest friends, usually I'm friends with their friends. There's a kinship there. There's a common sense of humor and worldview and, and, and manner of behavior. And, you know, I'm friends with that person for a reason. So if they're friends with somebody, it stands to reason that I could probably be friends with their friend. How many times does somebody address or reference someone in life and they'll say this, it's a friend of a friend. You see, friendship involves not just a transactional relationship with two people, but it also involves a, 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 a companionship, a camaraderie between a body of people very often. Usually you'll have a group of friends. Can I tell you something? The Lord Jesus has a group of friends. There are people that love Him. And if I love Him, I ought to love those people that also love Him. You know what? David says to Hushai, Hushai says, I don't want to go back there. It probably sounded like a five-year-old. I don't want to go there. I don't know nobody. How many of y'all said that at Christmas, family get-togethers? I don't want to go to that. I don't know nobody. David says, oh no, you do know somebody. In fact, there's people there, Hushai, that need you. The high priest Zadok and his assistant Abiathar, they're there. And they need somebody to help them, to encourage them. And he says, go back and be with those people and encourage them and comfort one another and minister to each other in my absence. Because Hushai, friends need friends. And he that would have friends must show himself friendly. Go love them because I love them. Be good to them because I would be good to them. Be their friend because they're my friend, Hushai. You see, here's what David did, and this is what friendship involves. He was commanded to love David's companions. Can I tell you that friendship with the Lord Jesus involves loving the people of God. Christ Himself said in John 15, 12, This is my commandment that ye love 
one another as I have loved you. You say, preacher, I'll be a friend to the Lord. I'll do anything He wants me to do. Lord, what do you want me to do? He says, love one another. Love one another. He says, there's a whole bunch of commandments. We can talk about all of them. But they're all summarized in these two things. If you love God the way God wants to be loved, and if you love God's people the way God wants them to be loved, then you'll automatically do all those other things. Is love one another. John picked up on this and carried it further in 1 John 4.21. He said, this is the commandment we have from Him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. For a friend of Jesus, we ought to be patient with God's people. Sometimes it takes patience. We ought to love them. Sometimes it takes work to love them. But if God loves them, and if we're a friend to Him, then we're going to love His people. Not only to love David's companions, but to labor with David's confederates. He said, Hushai, I got a plan. But it involves everybody's cooperation. Uh, that we've got this system set up. You'll be there in the palace and you'll hear everything that Ahithophel says. And then you'll go to Zadok and Abiathar and you'll tell them everything that you've heard. And then their sons are stationed outside the city. They'll get word to their sons and then their sons will travel to me and give me the information. But Hushai, it all depends on everybody doing their job. If one person lets down, the whole chain breaks. It can only work if everybody's working together. Hey, if we're a friend of Jesus, you know what we'll do? We'll serve alongside His people. Can I tell you something? The work of God is a lot like that same, that, that spiring there, that chain of communication. If somebody ain't doing their job, the job ain't getting done. We gotta work together. We gotta do what God has called us to do. We've gotta labor not against each other, but with each other, working together, encouraging one another, edifying one another, supporting one another, and trying to see the will and work of God done in this body. I see he was called to labor with David's confederates, and finally, he was also commanded to look to David's communication. He said, Hushai, if you're a friend to me, you won't leave me in the dark. You'll get word to me what's going on in the palace. You know, what was going on in the palace in Hushai's life was Hushai's life. His whole life was, was, was living in that palace and working in that palace. David said, Hushai, I want to read your journal. I want to hear everything that happened. I want all the details. Hushai, I want you to pour out to me every instance of your life. Communicate with me. Hushai, the worst thing you could do is me in the far country over here and me to not hear from you. You know what friendship involves? It involves an open line of communication with our King. How can we say we're a friend to Him? How many times have you been hurt by the fact that people that call you their friend never call you, never check on you, never communicate with you? How many times have you or I been hurt because we reach out to someone that we believed was a friend and we cannot get a hold of them or, or, or they give us the cold shoulder they shut us out of their life? And how must God feel when all we have to do is merely speak from our hearts, think with our minds to communicate with Him and we won't even be bothered to pull our attention from one thing to Him. I'm saying this, if we're a real friend to Him, it involves some allegiance We'll boldly proclaim Him. We'll be broken over what He's broken over. It involves obedience. Nobody can call themselves a friend of Jesus that's living in disobedience. We need to be obedient to His assessment. If the Holy Ghost has told you something's wrong in your heart, in your life this morning, if He's dealt with you about something, if God has communicated to your heart, has convicted you of some sin, then the first step of obedience is say, You're right, Lord. I'm wrong. I'll get it right. Obedient to the assignment. And then there's an alliance. Man, if we, if we love God... We'll love God's people. It's not always easy to do. We don't always do it flawlessly, perfectly. Hey, listen, it's not flawless, but it ought to be unfeigned. It ought to be pure. It ought to be sincere. 
We ought to love them because God loves them. I wonder if you and I are a real friend to Jesus this morning. Let's